This is case 23 from the Mumon Khan. Neither good nor evil. The case. The sixth patriarch was once pursued by Monk Myo as far as Mount Dayu. The patriarch, seeing Myo coming, laid the robe and bowl on a rock and said, This robe represents the faith. How can it be competed for by force? I will allow you to take it away. Mio tried to lift it up, but it was as immovable as a mountain. Terrified and trembling with awe, he said, I came for the Dharma, not for the robe. I beg, I beg you, lay brother, please reveal it to me. The patriarch said, At the very moment you were chasing after me, without thinking good or evil, what was the primal face of monk Myo? In that instant, Myo suddenly attained deep realization and his whole body was covered with sweat. In tears, he bowed and said, Besides the secret words and secret meaning you have just revealed to me, is there anything else deeper yet? The patriarch said, What I have now preached to you is no secret at all. If you reflect on your own true face, the secret will be found within yourself. Mio said, Though I have been at Obai with the other monks, I have never realized what my true face was. Now, thanks to your instruction, I know it like a person who drinks water and knows for himself whether it is cold or warm. Now you, lay brother, are my master. Fifth, the sixth patriarch said, If that is the way you feel, let us both have Obai for our master. Be mindful and hold fast to what you have realized. Mumon's commentary. It should be said that the, fifth, the sixth patriarch, his actions sprang from urgent circumstances. His kindness is like that of a grandmother who peels a fresh lychee, removes the seeds, and put it right into the mouth, so all you have to do is swallow it. The verse. It can't be described. It can't be pictured. It can't be sufficiently praised. Stop trying to grasp it with your head. There is nowhere to hide the primal face. Even while the world is destroyed, it is indestructible. So last week we held the second session of our Platform Sutra book study and we ended at the point where Huineng received the Dharma transmission from the fifth patriarch, his teacher, who handed him the robe and the bowl to authenticate the successorship. He then told Huineng to run away and stay in seclusion for some years and wait for things to calm down before emerging from hiding and getting engaged with teaching others. So the koan brought up today deals with, the, with an encounter that took place while Huineng was running away and one of the monks caught up with him. Now, it may be good to note here that 
Not all scholars agree about the details of this encounter, but as in the case with all koans and Zen-related stories, verifying or refuting details is irrelevant in terms of the study and practice of Zen. The responsibility of a Zen practitioner is to enter the koan itself so that the koan becomes a living reality rather than a story from the past. This way of reading and sitting with and embodying a koan becomes an expression of non-duality. You are the koan rather than reading a koan or trying to figure it out. So the reason why Huineng was told to run away and go into hiding was because the fifth patriarch, what he did was radically not in accordance with the tradition and the culture of that time. The fifth patriarch, who is referred to as Oba in this koan, which is the name of the mountain where the monastery was on, he was expected to pass on the successorship to Shenzhu, the head monk a diligent and educated monk who had studied with him for a long time, earned the trust of all the other monks, and was an example practitioner. But the fifth patriarch disrupted the tradition and gave the transmission to an uneducated novice who worked in the milling room for nine months without ever sitting with the other monks, without going through the hierarchy, hierarchical system of the monastery, and without any formal study. So the next morning, when the monks woke up and heard about the midnight secretive transmission, they all thought that their teacher has lost it and made a grave mistake that they have to quickly rectify by chasing Huineng and returning the robe and the bowl to where these sacred items belong and essentially restore the order to the tradition. Why do we have traditions? Why do we, human beings, create structure practices, traditional practices, and then follow them? And these are questions we need to examine since history is teaching us that traditions can be used to control us, control people, and gain power to indoctrinate, to divide and conquer by ideologies of right and wrong. History is dotted with many examples of that. In the case of wisdom traditions such as Zen, the purpose of having a structure is to expose the egoic self that abuses traditions by using them to further divisiveness and harm. Anytime we get attached to a structure practice and not use it skillfully, we can become enslaved by our interpretation of a tradition that is meant to liberate us. So it will be safe to assume that the fifth patriarch felt that the practice at his monastery has become somewhat lifeless or too systematized. And for the sake of injecting life into it, he did something very radical and he passed on the transmission to Huineng. For the sake of keeping the tradition alive, he passed on the transmission to Huineng. And this radical Dharma transmission can be seen as if it is flying in the face of tradition. But in reality, 
It is actually showing us how to not get trapped by the tradition. And I think that the message here for all of us is to not get trapped by opinions and ideas about the various aspects of traditional practice and to keep our practice alive, real, dynamic, and relevant, connected to this century, to everything we encounter, to the way we live our lives today. And so in following Greening's autobiography, he said after the transmission, less than two months after the transmission, I reached Taiyu Ridge, unknown to me. Several hundred people had been chasing me, hoping to catch me and take away the patriarch's robe. But they all had given up halfway through. All except one monk, whose name was Mio. He had previously been a general in the, of the third grade, and he was a rough character. He caught up with me at the ridge. And this is where this, the story in this Quran begins. The sixth patriarch, seeing Mio coming, laid the robe and bowl on a rock and said, This robe represents the faith. How can it be competed for by force? I will allow you to take it away. And this is Huineg's first meeting, first encounter as a verified Dharma teacher and a Zen patriarch. Although his authority was disputed by all the monks at the monastery, still he carried on the torch of the Dharma and the trust of his teacher. A religious item or a garment can only be a symbol that represents the essence of the practice by those, but those items by themselves lack any special significance apart from what we assign to them. For winning, it was clear that the Dharma he was entrusted with cannot be given or taken away. And so to avoid further turmoil, he was willing to let go of the ball and robe. For Monk Mio, however, the robe and the ball were much more than symbols of the tradition. For him and for the other monks, protecting these items meant protecting the tradition. And this is exactly what happens with religions when the practice is externalized and not verified personally by practitioners, by followers. The Dharma itself is indestructible. It does not need to be defended or protected. Only our own created ideologies and opinions need to be protected and can easily become a thing to grasp and a source of contention. Our fixed view of traditional practice will create something of it. And this is something that happens automatically. It's not something that we do. It's something that we experience within and it's something that we, know, we have to know how to meet. So, for example, robes, chanting, bowing, right? Everything we do. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people think it's great. Some people think it's a barrier. And what's most importantly is that whether we love it or hate it, either way, there is something there that creates a barrier for us. Because we create something of it in the mind. 
and what we create becomes the barrier. And in fact, often what we create becomes a source of contention and conflict and a great source of harm. So whether I think this is an incredible thing or I think it's pointless and not necessary, what I'm dealing with is not the item or the garment or the practice. What I'm dealing with is my own opinions about it or my own interpretations of it, which is actually a great opportunity to sit down and look what's going on here. What am I making of this? Where is the barrier? I remember back when I was practicing with my teacher, there was one person who had a problem with having a statue on the altar. And for the sake of making this person comfortable, this statue was removed while this person was there. Now, what does that do? Well, yes, it makes the person more comfortable joining and sitting with this group. But what does it, what does it not do? Right? What are we robbing from this person? Well, maybe the opportunity to examine what's going on in the mind, not what's going on externally. I have a problem with this, and therefore this has to be removed. Now, the this, in, in one instance, may be a statue, in another, may be a person, or maybe other things. And as long as I am holding on to what I think it needs to be, then what I'm saying is that I need to remove this before I can be comfortable. This is a barrier, whether I chase it and want to hold on to it or want to remove it. There is something there. There is something there for me to examine, something there for me to work with and free myself, one step at a time, one breath at a time. And this is one of the things that we need to learn from this story of the transmission. Now, Huineng had nothing to protect when he arrived at the monastery and when he departed. Since his sense of self was not attached to having or not having. So he said to Monk Myo, please go ahead and take the robe and bowl. There's no need to fight over this. For Myo, this must have been a great moment of success after a long chase. Finally, he was about to set things right and preserve the tradition. Meaning it still served the way his mind worked, right? This is, this is wrong and I'm going to make it right. Rather than look at the wrong and right in my mind, I will make things right because the wrong and right in my mind are fixed and they verify reality. How do I know? Well, I just look within. I look at my thought and I know it to be true. That's as far as that goes. But then when he tried to pick up the praised items, they were immovable like a rock. Terrified and trembling with awe, he said, I came for the Dharma, not for the robe. I beg you, I beg you, lay brother, please, Reveal it to me. And this, this moment, this is an incredibly transformative experience for a practitioner. 
chasing for some praised idea, only to arrive at the destination, getting what we want, realize that it's nothing like what we imagined it to be. And it doesn't deliver what we believed it will. It can be disappointing to a point of feeling discouraged and powerless, but it can also empty us out completely of all the extras we have become attached to. And we may be truly ready, truly ready, emptying out and ready to hear the Dharma. We may be truly ready to hear, to see, to taste, to touch, to breathe. Because we agree to empty, whether it's by a decision or by an encounter. There is an internal agreement to empty out, to receive, to open up the heart. And it's a moment of genuine recognition of what really matters beyond my thoughts, beyond my opinions, beyond what I've come to be attached to, beyond my karma, beyond all those forces, the internal forces that convince us to do this and avoid that. And then he said, I came for the Dharma, not for the robe. Please reveal it to me. And Huineng went, right into the heart of the matter and said, at the very moment you were chasing after me, without thinking of good and evil, what was the primal face of Monk Myo? And Shibayama commented on this, saying, this unexpected spiritual impulse must have thrown the sincere and forthright Myo into the bottomless abyss of great doubt. His ego-centered and enraged self was at once completely smashed. This inner conversion, which fundamentally changed Mio's personality, was the most important moment in his life. So true. At the moment that we empty out, at the moment that we feel that we have nothing to stand on anymore, at the, at the moment that our opinions, our thoughts, our fixed ideas about life become what they are, meaningless, have always been meaningless. At that moment, life shows up. At that moment, life reveals itself. At that moment, everything is verified. The readiness to take up the most fundamental question on a spiritual journey. Who are you? Who are you? And how do you answer this question without going into the story, without falling into right and wrong, without any labels or definitions, without turning to your thoughts and emotions? Who are you when you do not know who you are? Who are you when you don't know what you like or dislike? What you want and do not want? What you think should be or should not be? Who are you when all of it 
is gone. And this is the gist of it. And actually, this is the greatest shortcut for us in our practice. That, that little by little development of the willingness, let go, let go, let go. Further and further and further. You may adjust your position. So up to that moment, the chase to restore the sacred items and make things right gave Mio a purpose and a sense of identity. But at the moment he went to take, to pick him up, he realized the futility of the chase and he was left with nothing to stand on and nothing to defend. At the moment he was about to take what he thought he was assigned to do or take or bring back. At that moment, there was nothing there because what he wanted was not there. He realized that what he was chasing was not garment and a bowl. And examining our lives and our practice we need to, we need to do the same. We need to ask, what am I protecting? What have I come to identify with? And who am I? Who am I a part of that? Am I this or is this just a story made up of overlaid extras? Is it really what I want? And if we are willing to reflect honestly on these questions and truly examine, we can quickly discover the ways we protect the story, the story we have come to identify with, and how we justify the tremendous amount of effort it takes to defend it and sustain it. You know, we can be accused by others for what we say or do, or what we don't do. We can question, am I good, am I bad? What do people think about me? Right? We could be, for example, be served food at a restaurant and the food is not so good or, so, or is a bit cold. And we take it personally as if it was about us, as if the chef purposefully cooked something bad for us, against us. Right? It shows up in so many ways, in so many instances. Dealing with the aging process, identified with the way the body looks, identified with the way that we look, we feel. Whatever it is, it's always there in the background. And what we need to do is shed light, examine. Because what bothers one does not bother another. We are trapped in different ways. Or we should say we are trapped in our own unique ways. And this is what we have to look at. Because as long as we are engaged with defending a creation of a self and preoccupied with the perception of reality, we remain blind to the richness of our being or to who we are. Or to interbeing. We could use a, a phrase by Thich Nhat Hanh, interbeing, which 
is interdependent origination. Of course, we remain blind to it as long as we maintain gaps between self and other, between self and reality, between having and not having. So this is a process, Mio's process, is a process that we have to go through. So Huineng said to Mio, at the very moment you were chasing me, without, without falling into what you think about what's good or what's bad, what you are and what you're not, without any of it, what is the primal face of monk Mio? What is your original face? And this question is most vital and relevant to each of us. At the very moment, we are deeply engaged with obeying an idea we have become attached to or protecting and defending our conceptual image of a self we have become identified with. Huineng is asking us to go beyond the duality of good versus bad, right versus wrong, important versus insignificant, or gain versus loss. When you stop all this feverish involvement with thoughts, then you ask the question, who are you? Do I know? Do I need to know? The practice of the way is ultimately leading to knowing oneself in a radically different way than our definition of knowing. It is not referring to cumulative knowledge. And it has nothing to do with anything we have become attached to, identified with in terms of affiliations, belief systems, opinions, or self-affirming stories we have created in the mind or self-affirming stories created from past details of our lives. Confucius said that the practice of the way consists of daily losing, which in terms of moment-by-moment -moment practice means to observe the process of becoming attached to ideas about ourselves and about reality. When you wake up in the morning, you may have ideas or hopes about the way you think the day should go, or what should or should not happen throughout the day. Yet often, what happens throughout the day is, flowing, is following a different path and flowing in a different direction. And we end up encountering different reality from the one we have in the head. It shows up in the form of emails, the weather, people we meet, the news we read, circumstances we confront, or anything that happens. At the, moment that, at the moment of the encounter, at the moment of the encounter, there is often a discrepancy between our static ideas versus the dynamic manifestation of life. And this is where practice is most relevant. At such a moment, we need to recognize the made-up version of reality we have created in the mind and be willing to lose it so we can yield to life rather than oppose it rather than create further inner conflicts because it doesn't match. Why should it match? How can I predict? How can I know? The truth is, I don't. 
I can't predict. No one can. It's a practice. Rather than waiting for something else to happen. There's no way to. It is the way. So only by releasing the tight grip over anything, anything that is created in the mind or accumulated and letting go of wanting to know ourselves or reality by thought, we can truly be in alignment with the true face, with our true nature. As Dijang once said to Fayan, not knowing is most intimate. So for Mio, there was very clear knowing when he was chasing up until the moment he was about to pick it up. At that moment, that knowing fell apart. Everything fell apart. And he did not know. What am I doing here? Why did I do this? What do I want? Then, things opened up. Not knowing is most intimate. This is very different than that we want to know reality in a very specific way. And this is the problem. And this is what we have to let go of. Wanting to know it through thought, through mind, through ideas. Chuang Tse, who was a great Taoist master and philosopher, once said, if the goat would know it is a goat, its legs would bump into one another and it would not be able to walk. If the fish knew it is a fish, it would sink into the bottom of the river. The goat, the fish, the mountain, and the river know themselves in a knowledge that does not know. Only humans try to know themselves through knowledge that knows. And that's why they cannot be human in the same way that a goat is a goat, a fish is a fish, a river is a river, and a mountain is a mountain. To know oneself in knowledge that does not know itself. What does that mean? What kind of knowing is that? It's a beautiful way to describe the life of non-duality. An embodiment of non-duality. Which, of course, we are always surrounded by. Everything is essentially non-dual. And being non-dual, it is constantly teaching non-duality. It is constantly teaching the Dharma. How could it be in a robe and a bowl more than anything else? How could it be in one more than another? How could it be gained? How could it be lost? How could it be compared? and knowledge that does not know itself. Dogen said, conveying oneself towards all things to carry out practice enlightenment is delusion. All things coming and carrying out practice enlightenment through the self is realization. Those who greatly realize delusion are Buddhas. Those who are greatly deluded in realization are sentient beings. Allowing life to teach us rather than trying to figure it out. Nothing needs to be figured out because it's already so. 
Only we try to figure it out. And this is the crux of it. Trying to figure it out creates problems. Then we try to solve. Trying to figure ourselves out creates a self that we are trying to free ourselves from. We create the problems. We create delusion. No wonder that we are trapped. And so the goat and the fish Trangtsa is referring to know how to naturally actualize what Dogen is saying. But we humans need to do some work and realize this simple truth so we can also merge with the way and flow spontaneously. But this kind of work is also not what we think it is. It requires that we do nothing special or nothing at all. Yet, we have to do it wholeheartedly with deliberate intention, with resolve, while cultivating discipline, so we don't regress back into, into relying on thought and get sucked into habitual patterns. This is why it's so important that we develop strong resolve and discipline. Not because we're not it, not because it's not abundantly clear, because we get sucked back into it. Because as much as we may not like it, we also love it. We love our opinions. We love to speak about it. We love to make sure that other people know what we think. We love to go fight about it or for it. That's why we don't talk. As a practice, we don't talk. We don't give it words. We don't give it actions. And we examine, is there anything missing? Am I lacking? Am I lacking before I open up my mouth and say something? Do I get anything extra when I say something and others say, yes, that was good? Is it lost when they say, you suck? You don't know what you're talking about. Maybe we don't know what we're talking about. Maybe that's not so bad. The problem is that we do too much, try too hard. So we have to do less. But doing less, we need to fully trust and do it single-mindedly. As Master Banke said, instead of struggling to do or become something, one needs to cease struggling entirely. If one is truly natural and innocently spontaneous, the unborn or original face will appear. The key to realization is not some method of practice, however helpful this may be, but letting go of everything which is not the original or the unborn. This involves no special method as typically understood. It involves the total openness of, one, of the one who has no presumed goal, no intention, no desire, no wish. That's all it takes. It takes letting go of wanting to become something else, arrive somewhere else. And for Winang, that was very clear. That was very clear from the get-go, from the moment he arrived, or from the moment he heard 
the passage from the Diamond Sutra. Everything opened up. Nothing was lacking. Nothing was missing. Yet he knew to follow the impulse to go all the way up to the monastery in the north to see the fifth patriarch, to be there for a while, and to have that Dharma transmission. Why? So he can pass it on. So he can deepen his own realization and pass it on to us today. So the question is, are we appreciative of that? Do we understand what it is that we are embodying or entrusted with? Do we know how to live it through our lives and then pass it on to future generations? So to empty out, to let it go, Monk Mio was ready to hear this simple and inherent truth. He has exhausted the search and was not grasping anything. So when Huineng asked him what was the primal face of Monk Mio, he realized that what he was searching for was always there. As we just chanted, right? From the, from the beginning, all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice. Without water, no ice. Outside us, no Buddha. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. How much we do to get there, to arrive. Yet, it is abundantly clear and available. So in that instant, Mio suddenly attained deep realization. And his whole body was covered with sweat. Because he was willing to lose it, had nothing left to stand on, nothing to defend, his heart was open to welcome the immense beauty and magnanimity of life in all its varied manifestations, beyond likes and dislikes, beyond right and wrong. And it's a visceral experience that cannot be compared to anything else. In tears, he bowed and said, besides the secret words and secret meaning you have just revealed to me, is there anything else deeper yet? Now look how quickly the thinking mind moves and the ego grasping awakens again. Our habitual way of thinking doesn't go anywhere. Even after having realization experiences, the tendency to quantify or give it parameters, awakens the sense of discontentment. Is there anything else? Besides this great, great secret, what else is there? He asked Huineng. And Huineng replied, what I have just preached to you is no secret at all. If you reflect on your own true face, the essence will be found within yourself. Because it's always been there. The fact that you went to search for it did not make it not there. You just distracted yourself from it. In the commentary, Amada Kun wrote, the word secret has two meanings. One is that which is hidden from us. And the other is intimate. 
In Buddhism, secret means that which is most intimate to us. It is what is self-evident to us, but which cannot be explained or be taught by others or be given by others. Nor can it be taught to us by ourselves. It's just there. And Bodhidharma said, through endless kalpas, without beginning, whatever you do, wherever you are, that's your real mind. That's your true face. That's your real Buddha. Beyond this, you will never find another Buddha. To search for enlightenment or nirvana beyond this mind is impossible. The reality of your own self-nature, the absence of cause and effect, is what's meant by mind. Your mind is nirvana. You might think you can find a Buddha or enlightenment somewhere beyond the mind, but such a place does not exist. Trying to find a Buddha or enlightenment is like trying to grab space. Space has a name, but no form. It's not something you can pick up and put down. And you certainly can grab it. Beyond this mind, you will never see a Buddha. This is why he was not able to move it. Because he externalized. And he realized, Mio, that he was externalizing. And when he stopped externalizing, of course it was revealed. We have to stop trying. There it is. Stop wanting something else, someone else. And maybe stop thinking that something is missing or that we are lacking. It is so simple and available, yet it can seem so distant and beyond reach when we look for it or try to figure it out through the mind, through the thinking mind. Einstein said, I think 99 times and find nothing. I stop thinking, swim in silence, and the truth comes to me. The intellect has little to do with the road to discovery. There comes a leap in consciousness. Call it intuition or whatever you will. The solution comes to you and you don't know how or why. And this is Einstein. Of course it comes to you. Mostly when you don't try. Because you're not distracting yourself. You're allowing. You open. You receive. And you awaken. You can adjust position. So after this profound experience, Mio felt deep gratitude towards Winang and said, Though I have been to Obai, this is the Fifth Patriarch Monastery, with the other monks, I have never realized what my true self is or my true face is. Now, thanks to your instruction, I know it is like a person who drinks water and knows for himself whether it is cold or warm. Now you, lay brother, are my master. And Winang said, If this is the way you feel, let us both have Obai as our teacher. Be mindful and hold fast to what you have realized. Winang was deeply realized, yet deeply humble, 
and he knew he needed some time to mature in his practice before taking on the responsibility to teach and guide others. So for him, the gradual was after the sudden. And so he said to Myo, since you had a profound experience and feel this way about the Dharma, let us both be disciples of Obai. And then he added a very important advice that pertains to all of us, students and teachers alike. Keep in mind that what you have realized can quickly be covered by habitual and karmic patterns. You need to keep nurturing your practice and care for the Dharma so it remains dynamic and flowing in your everyday life. This is absolutely imperative that we all keep in mind that there is no graduation, there is no final point, regardless of the depth of the realization. Over the, the many years of my practice, both Aikido and Zen, I've had multiple realization experiences. They were, you know, some were earth-shattering and vividly visceral, some not so earth-shattering. But I never saw any of these experiences as, as final conclusion to anything. And through continuous practice, whatever I realized or have realized just kept getting deeper and deeper and more profound over time. I was never interested in concluding the practice. That would be a shame. It would lead to many missed opportunities to experience life in its fullest. And as it keeps renewing itself, which is the quote I read this morning from Thich Nhat Hanh, every morning we wake up to brand new 24 hours. What does it matter what we realized yesterday? It's irrelevant, right? Because it's brand new. It will affect the way we meet the brand new, for sure. But we don't have to carry it around with us. And not carrying around with us, we are open to receive what is brand new. In the verse, Mumon says, it cannot be described, it cannot be pictured. And we can also add, it cannot be concluded. Because it's inexhaustible. Cannot be sufficiently praised. There is, however, a certain depth of realization, certain depth that relieves the practitioner from trying so hard to get somewhere else or become something else. And then, when this happens, everyday life and practice become naturally integrated and naturally flow constantly. And there is a few words from Yamada-kun about that maturation. And he said, the savor of Kensho is different at 60 years of age from that at 30. You can see this clearly at the writing of Dogen Zenchi. Everywhere in his early writing, his, enlightenment, his enlightened eye gives you a dazzling effect. But as it gradually ripens, it gives an impression of an oxidized silver or patina. There's no light shining on the surface. There, the heart knows an entirely different degree of stability. Different degree of stability, different expectations, obviously. So while, as we say, the meal has long been cooked and you are intrinsically a Buddha, the practice itself must continue endlessly. Because life continues endlessly.
So I'll add with uh, a quote from Thich Nhat Hanh about letting go. He said, letting go gives us freedom and freedom is the only condition for, for happiness. If in our heart we still cling to anything, anger, anxiety, or possessions, we cannot be free. We cannot be free. Any clinging, any grasping is going to blind us to the beauty of life. It's going to prevent us from seeing what is never hidden. So, let go to the best of your ability without parameters. There is no that kind of letting go or this kind of, just let go. Today, to the best of your ability. You wake up tomorrow morning, do it again to the best of your ability tomorrow. To be continued. Thank you.